Welcome to The Hillary Show, my friend. I'm so happy that you're here because today we're having a chat with Ahuva Hirschkop. She's a Toronto-based anti-diet dietitian and burnout coach for professional women. I'm digging the anti-diet action because I believe in that as well. But she supports professional women in their organizations, like their companies, a lot of CEOs in her sphere. And she created the Unapologetic Living Code to help us um, stop living out of perfectionism and live a life they enjoy without compromising their personal or professional goals. The treat of uh, Ahuva that I think that you're going to really enjoy is just a lot of assertiveness, a lot of confidence, and a, lo a lot of wanting to give people back a little bit of themselves. I think that's so important that it's not someone who, she's not someone who's going to impose what she thinks um, about things on you. In my uh, enjoyable podcast with her that you're about to listen to, it's going to show you that she's just really here to help you unlock a little bit of you. Enjoy my friends and I'll see you on the other side. Ahuva, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to talk to you all about, I mean, we got the twin thing in common. We got the <laughs> let's not be burnout thing in common. And just overall, it's always a delight to talk to a Canadian friend. So thank you for joining us. I mean, the twin thing is pro could probably keep us just busy for hours, just with that. <laughs> yes, I am curious. Are yours girls, boys combo? I have a girl and a boy. Okay. I've got two girls and I think mine are a little older than yours. So I'm out of the weeds a little bit because mine are about to turn 10. So mine are six. Yeah. That's still a busy time. That's yeah. still a busy time. Okay. So what made you decide to get into the, the female coaching space and what is the gift that you want to give people when they coach with you? Oh my gosh. That's such a great question. So by training, I'm actually a registered dietitian. So I'm a registered dietitian in Ontario and was really, you know, coaching families and specifically I'm a pediatric dietitian. So coaching families normally in heterosexual couples, um, the female partner was still charged with the feeding relationships. And so was talking a lot to women during the pandemic specifically who were like, you know what, you really wish that we could care what you were talking about. But like, also we're like, so up to our eyeballs and stuff that like, if my kid wants to take sugar out of the cupboard and just like pour it down its throat for dinner, we're going to call that a win. I also found out that I was pregnant with my third child the week before COVID lockdowns and was working, raising three-year-old twins, pregnant, had him, was so ingrained in hustle culture and building my business that I went back to work six days after I gave birth with a baby, you know, holding a baby, uh, doing my nutrition coaching. And so I always say like how I burnt out is a total mystery. Nobody really knows. It's very unclear. And it took, you know, a lot of introspection, a lot of asking questions of myself and asking like why my clients were struggling so much while I was, you know, sort of struggling with that as well, feeling like I was hitting a wall to really take that step back and ask like, why does it seem like all of us are doing this? Right. Why does it seem like so many women that I'm speaking to are really hitting this wall of burnout? And how do we start solving that so that we can start living lives that we actually get to enjoy, not just ones where we show up really well. And so that is really how I started doing my coaching. I now run a 12-week coaching program called the Unapologetic Living Code, where I really just hope I help people who, you know, show up for everybody else in a super powerful way, start learning how to do that for themselves also. Oh my gosh. So where did you learn how to do this? Because COVID wasn't that long ago and now you're teaching people. I feel like 
I've been an immigration lawyer. This is all my issues coming up. I always feel like when I get on the podcast, I'm like, this is not a podcast for other people. This is almost like coaching and therapy for me. <laughs> totally. So, but I, I feel like I've been, a. I, you can't in the legal space, I can't call myself an expert, but I think I'm like, if someone were to call an expert for immigration law, they, they could call me, I would be ready. And yet I still feel so um, bogged down with wanting to teach other people. And you seem to have made a shift really fast. And I'm so impressed by that. So first of all, I, love, I mean, a lot of my clients are lawyers. I'm sure you would find that surprising. Um, I'm also married to a lawyer. So I, I, I like love the fact that you're like, I'm not legally allowed to state that I yeah, am. I have to have a like, disclaimer for everything I say. It's so annoying. My husband's I always have to say a like, storyteller. Hey, Right. To my husband, I'm like, I would like for you to take out the garbage, including but not limited to the activities of <laughs> replacing the bag. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I, I definitely hear you. I think that, you know, I think that there's always an interesting um, experience with being an, an expert. Right. And I think that being a regulated health professional, being a registered dietitian, there's always and, you know, you might experience this in, in like as, as a lawyer as well is like there's this there's this separation that has to happen, right? There has to be that expert and I'm the expert and I'm sort of like sitting over here. That never quite happened when I started with this topic. I was like, I, when I get interested in something, I'm like all in, I am my clients. I am a high achiever. I am, I'm like, I wanted to know all the things. I think that one of my superpowers is actually being able to make connections where other people don't really see them. Like more than anything, that's really where I find my zone of genius. And so as soon as I started finding things that were helping me, I mean, I'm a mom in my thirties. I'm a working mom in my thirties. All of my friends are people that I, you know, are, are the same people that I would be coaching. And so a lot of it was just starting with like, Hey, here's how I'm actually working through this. Hey, I found this thing, or I've learned this skill, or I've done the research in really understanding like habit change is one thing that obviously, you know, as a dietitian, I'm I'm trained in, but also something like how the brain works, how habits work, how routines and socialization happen is something that I'm incredibly, I've always been incredibly interested in. So it was sort of like a lot of the knowledge and a lot of the expertise I sort of held and didn't own until I, I sort of all of a sudden there was like a spark that happened. And I was like, oh, this is all connected. This is actually a thing. And just started showing up where, where I was needed kind of. I love it. And what do you feel like has been your biggest challenge? And of course, everything has an equal opposite. What's your greatest reward in this? I think the biggest challenge truthfully is the, the lens through which a lot of women see their own experience is that we've been fed for so long that this idea of, you know, especially, you know, working motherhood. Uh, like you're supposed to feel like crap all the time. Like you're supposed to be overwhelmed. That's that's par for the course. That just is what it is, right? And so I think that there's a lot of people who are starting to have the conversation around like, hey, maybe it doesn't have to be like this. And also I think that there really is a conversation that is still lacking around the fact that it's not enough anymore for you know women to come together in a tribe and sort of commiserate about how miserable people sometimes are. There are actually things that we can do. And there is still, I call it the mutual exclusivity of excellence. It's not a real term. It's just something that I talk about, which is it's still the messaging that women get a lot of the time where either you can be excellent professionally, you or, can be well-respected, or you can be a great mother, a great friend, a great daughter, a great 
you know, person in your personal life, let's say, but you absolutely are not going to do both. And I think a lot of women are still walking around with that mentality. And so they feel like if they are going to choose to show up for themselves, that really means taking away from something else. And I just really wish that, you know, my, my number one goal, right. Is, is always for women to know that's not the case, yeah. whether that's working with me or whether that's doing it on their own, it doesn't have to be an either or. And I think that that mutual, that like that lie that it's an either, or I think that affects dads too. At least it affects I, I, on some level, my husband, where he will feel like, so maybe it's just a universal thing that we all feel like, you know, we can excel at one or two things, but we are going to fail at something else. And then we feel bad about that. And I'm convinced that it's like, we're always going to be out of balance. And that this idea of balance and being good at everything all the time and like carrying a 90% average across my life is probably not going to happen. And I don't know. Um, I do think that women, just because we historically carry so much more of the home workload, once you have kids, uh, the apple cart gets very out of balance. So I think that it's interesting. I might be the only person who's ever listened to the speeches um, at the, I guess it's the Ontario Bar Association when my husband is called to the bar. Okay. I think I'm the only person who's listened to the speeches. And I remember one person actually saying, specifically, he was talking to the, the lawyers who were being called to the bar, but I think it's applicable across the board to professionals. Is he was sort of saying like, there is no balance, right? Your job will possibly pull you away in sometimes. You're, if you choose to have a family, like that's going to sway you in some times of your life. Like that's going to take up more of your time. And it's true. Like I've seen it to be true in my own life. I've seen it to be true in a lot of my clients' lives is, and you know, I run a workshop every other month that is really called why the focus on work-life balance is actually burning you out. Because I do, I think that in today's day and age, we've almost taken the concept of work-life balance. And now we've made it sort of like a tit for tat, right? If you've given your A game at the office today, you better show up with exactly that A game at home. Otherwise, you're out of balance. And we sort of keep this like scorecard in our, in the back of our brains where we do, we have to fire on all cylinders and give 110%. And that's really why I call it, I call it the working mom hustle culture. And you're absolutely right. It affects men too. Like it's not necessarily a, you know, a gendered issue. Uh, women do happen to be the, the clientele that I work with, but where we feel like we have to give a hundred percent to the work that we do and a hundred percent at home and then we blame ourselves when we're burning out. Well, I think that I've somewhat given up on being a really good mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I mean, I want to be an excellent mom, but I just know I'm never going to be the image that when I first, when I, you know, would judge other people or I would yeah. put those people on an altar and think when I'm going to, when I'm a mom, I want to be like that. Or when I'm a mom, I'm never going to be like that. I'm somewhere in the middle on that and I'm just going to have to be okay with it. Otherwise my whole experience as a mother is I'm going to feel really shitty about myself. And, yeah. um, I wish that, I mean, I have one of my, uh, one of my girlfriends, she's just a really outstanding, extraordinary mother. And I'm just never going to be that. And that's okay. okay. You know, okay. Let's just pause there for a second. Okay. Because I think that it's really interesting that you're saying that. And I think the permission that you're giving yourself is like great. And also, 
I think that, you know, again, what I talk about a lot inside the Unapologetic Living Code, which is my my coaching program, is all of those definitions that we hold yes. that we don't always understand that we're operating from, right? And again, like as, as regulated health professionals, right? Like I have a very clear, here are my practice parameters as a dietitian. Like here is how I'm supposed to show up. You do as well. And there's so many places where there are very clear rules around what are you allowed to do? What are you not allowed to do? And that doesn't exist in motherhood. And yet we hold so many of these definitions around what makes a good mother. And some of them aren't really real, right? Like we think that it has to be the person who has like the fresh cookies every single day. And it has to be the person who is, you know, like reading to their kids every single night for an hour. And I think sometimes we we forget what what that can look like in different seasons of life, right? And the example that I often give is I'm a runner. And obviously I've had a, you know, a twin pregnancy. Running was not accessible to me during that time. I've had three kids during a pandemic when we weren't really allowed outside. Like that wasn't really accessible to me at that time. And if I only ever judged myself on like, I'm either a runner or I'm not, or I can do this very specific thing or I can't, I would be out of luck a lot of my life, right? But the question that I always encourage people to ask is like, why are some of those things that you might see your friend doing important to you, right? Like, what do you think she's giving her kids while being like a quote unquote good mother that you would also like to emulate, right? Like if I can't run, I know why I run and I can find other ways to do that. I can walk around the block. I can, I don't know, you know, go up and down the stairs, whatever it is. And sometimes those things that we look at other people and we're like, wow, you're doing it on a grand scale we're actually showing up and doing it in the way that's accessible to us right now. Yeah. For me, it's just, I I don't want to do the things that she does. She's just yeah. great. And I'm like, I am amazed by you and my hat is off to you, but they're just going to be things I number one, don't want to do. So I'm not going to do. Yeah. And we kind of go from there. Like I, I like the idea of being a runner, but I'm not a runner. So yeah. I'm not going to be upset with myself about it, but my husband does Ironmans, Ironman. I don't know how with a pl- the plural of Ironman, <laughs> <laughs> the Iron Male. <laughs> and I'm just like, I I am impressed by it, but I'm never going to be the person who's like going to go do it. I don't even really like to go stand and watch because yeah. like, I, I'm very bored by it. <laughs> right. My but husband and I was like, good job, honey. I'll yes, see you later. You go for yes. your run. Go do your run and uh, I'll be on the other side when you get back and we can talk all about it. But Um, when you try to, what is your decision that you give to people? Like, I think that like we call it value. Um, I like to think of it as like planting an orchard and it's the orchard that's going to grow long after I'm not here. It's like the, the vision I get with the work that I do. What is, what is your gift that you give humanity? I give them back the gift of themselves really, because I think that for so long, so many of us stay stuck trying to do things the right way and trying to sort of fit ourselves into the boxes that we think that we're supposed to fit. And whether it's, you know, we checked off, like you got your degree or you got a, you know, a license or you got the job that you wanted, or you got the promotion. And suddenly a lot of people are in their thirties and their forties, especially women. And they're like, I know that I have a life. I'm just not sure how I got here. Like, I don't really see myself in it. And what I really want to open up for the women that I'm coaching is just the opportunity to to learn who they are again, right? And have the trust to do things their way. 
and to really be able to see what works for them, what makes them happy in how they show up for everybody else also. Um, And again, I don't want that to have to be the choice between like, do you show up professionally? Do you show up for your family? Do you show up in a way that you feel proud of? And also, do you get to go to sleep being like, oh yeah, I enjoyed today. Like one of the greatest gifts that I can say is over the long, the last long weekend, one of my clients emailed me and she was like, I don't think I've done a self-care thing for myself this weekend, like one thing. And I've never just felt so cared for by myself. And I'm like, yeah, that's all that I want for people is for women to just be able to see themselves in their lives again. It's not a matter of like putting in a certain piece of a thing into a routine. It's a, it's a way of being. Exactly. Like you don't need a weekly massage. You need to start actually feeling confident in your own decision-making and feeling confident in how you're doing your life. I call them the three P's of burnout, which is women get stuck in perfectionism, people pleasing, and just pressure from society, family, ourselves, and how we're supposed to show up. And we very quickly forget to ask how we want to show up, like how we want to experience life. And that's what I want women to remember. So when people are in people pleasing, what is the shift they have to make? I'm actually, I don't think I'm that much of a people pleaser. Um, but I have been in the past. I don't really know what I chose to do, but it was ugly. Like the transition between being people pleasing and being or authentic, like that transition internally, you had to work some junk out. Mm-hmm. I think one of the mistakes that people make when they're shifting out, out of people pleasing, or when they start recognizing that they're people pleasing is number one, even sh- like shaming people pleasing, right? There are if we want to function in society, there are times and there are ways that we have to accommodate other people. Like people pleasing isn't an inherently bad uh, trait, let's say. But what a lot of people do is when they realize they've been doing things, you know, to try and make everybody else happy or showing up extra for everybody else, all of a sudden they're like, well, forget you and forget your cat and forget, oh, I'm not doing anything for you anymore. Like I'm going to take a stand. And that's, also people pleasing, right? So we sometimes think like when we do things specifically, like not for other people who we may have shown up for in the past, we're still always making decisions then for other people, right? And so the biggest question that we can start asking is just getting a sense of why I call it my what, why, what strategy for getting out of people pleasing is just starting to understand why we're doing certain things, right? And one example that I can give from my, you know, picky eating nutrition background is when I would speak to to parents and they'd say, I made seven dinners tonight in the hopes that my child would eat something. And if you ask them why, their first answer might be because my kids have to eat something. Like it's their bodies. They need to eat for their bodies. And the real reason is I just want them to eat so that I can feel like a good parent because if my child skips a meal, it means I'm a bad mom, Right. And so sometimes the first answer that our brain wants to give us is we're just doing it altruistically. Like we're just doing it for the good of everybody else, for our kids, for our friends. And we don't always really know the the true reasons we're doing things and starting to get curious. And sometimes you need a little bit of help along the way to not necessarily take the first answer that your brain gives you, because sometimes it likes to give you that neat little polished answer of like, you know, we're just such a good person that we're doing whatever it is we're doing, but starting to understand those motivations. It doesn't necessarily mean you even have to change the decision. You have to step out of people pleasing right away. You don't have to go from zero to a hundred, 
But just starting to understand some of those motivations can help you then, you know, decide which actions you want to you want to keep and which ones you're ready to say, okay, maybe I can step away from this. For me, so much of it was saying yes to everything. Yes. Sure, I can do that. Sure, I can do that. And then I realized that the person I was saying no to so much was me. And it yeah. was like, I'm going to load myself up and go, go, go so that I can feel accomplished. But at the end of the day, I just felt drained and totally starting to say, no, that's, that's not going to work for me. Sorry, but you know, whatever, however you end up kind of like passing the no over that became very hard. Just no is like still something that even as assertive as I am in my professional life is hard in your personal life sometimes. Yeah. So I encourage women whenever they're trying to say no, whenever they're struggling with saying no, which let's be honest is any time that you say mm. no, most women struggle with that. There's a lot of guilt that will come up. There's a lot of, we're not supposed to say no. We're supposed to be the ones who show up for everybody. And one of the things that I say is if, if you're ever feeling like a little bit of discomfort when you're saying yes, like maybe it doesn't feel like it's a definite yes. You just sort of feel like you should say yes trying to think of three no's that you're saying through that yes and vice versa. Right. Because the example that, you know, I often give is if I, if somebody asked me to stay out till four in the morning, which like I would laugh in their face because I'm like in bed at 10. But if somebody did, and I was going to say yes to that, I would be saying no to myself the next day because I tend not to do well on very little sleep. I'd be saying no to my kids because I'm not going to show up as the best mother that I could, because I'm going to be too overtired. I'd be saying no to my clients and showing up powerfully for them because like, I just wouldn't be functioning at full capacity. And when you can start seeing the no's that you're saying through yeses and vice versa, right? When I say no to going out, I say yes to all of those other things. It starts making it so much easier because sometimes we get a little tunnel visioned in this is the thing that's in front of me. And so I'll say yes here. And then tomorrow when I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I'm in a bad mood and my kids need me to say, sort of say yes to them. We're like, shoot, I should say yes here also. And that's a a lot of how we sort of spiral into burnout is we try and rally ourselves because we don't know where to say yes or no to. And when you can see so many of the other yeses that you're saying just by one simple no, it helps a lot with, you know, the guilt and the clarity around where do we start saying that? Yeah. I love it. For me, when I quit, I quit drinking alcohol in May, 2021, and it was a great exercise in what was I saying yes to, and what was I saying no to, because just yeah. by simply saying no, it's the, the kind of the opposite, the inverse of what we're talking about right now, where sometimes when you say no to something, you open up all these other yeses. Yes to feeling good. Yes to not having anxiety or not nearly as much. And yes to feeling clear in your decision-making and all of this other stuff that just came from one simple no. But that simple no is really easy. I'm in the middle of what I thought was going to be a 90-day detox from caffeine, but I don't think that it really is going to work because I don't know that it's, I'm on day six and I don't feel any better and I just feel tired. (laughs) So maybe I'm still having to work it out, but you might know actually the answer to that with your background, but this, this no has not made me really feel yes about anything yet. And that's like a great experiment with our habits is that 
um, I can say no to something and maybe it doesn't open up more yeses. In fact, maybe it means more no's. <laughs> totally. And I think that there's also, I think that's such a great experiment because you can also then decide halfway through, you're like, you know what, this really isn't actually working for me. Yeah. Right. And I think sometimes we feel like we also have to stay tied to the one decision that we've made. We're like, we have to see this through. We're the kind of person who finishes things. And sometimes also it's okay to say, actually, I started this thing thinking it was going to serve me. And it's really just not, whether yeah. it's a podcast or a 90 day, right. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, quitting, I think is like, man, quitting gets a bad rap. And I think yeah. that quitting is, uh, very liberating. Um, and I learned this from Bob Goff, who's like a Christian, uh, American lawyer person. I don't, I don't really know how to describe him other than that, but he, he's all about love. Everything that you should do is all about love. And he was talking about how every day he tries to quit something because it frees him up to do more cool stuff. And that was the first time I'd ever really had that aha moment of quitting is your freedom. Mm -hmm. Freedom comes from quitting something. Yeah. I mean, I love unsubscribing from emails (laughs) from email because I do, I think like those kind of things, those places where we're, where you're like, I feel so guilty quitting or leaving or doing something halfway through. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like, don't ever see anything through. You should put everything halfway. No, like that's, and I don't think that, that, you know, the clients that I work with, I don't even think they're the people who I have to say that to, because it would just never happen. It's not in their, it's not in their makeup, but I do. I think that it's okay to, to, you know, really be able to, I call it like defining who you are on purpose, right? Because Sometimes when we're like, when we're stuck in letting everything else define us and we're defined by our last action or the last thing we did, then like, if you quit something, all of a sudden you have to, you have to completely shift your self-concept. Like you're a person who quits and you're like, no, I'm a person who sees the important things that I need to through and I make the necessary cuts or quits or stop other activities that aren't serving me and getting there. Yeah, absolutely. I just think that how much 2020 vision do you need to say I made a good decision or a bad decision? So sometimes, sometimes you just know, um, what are you reading right now? What is like a book that's on your nightstand? I love, I'm an avid reader. And so I'm always fascinated to hear what other people are reading. So I go through books like water. Truthfully, I read pretty voraciously. Right now I'm actually reading some nonfiction, but what one book that probably I read like once a quarter and I just finished again is uh, The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. Oh, I've not heard of it. It's, I've, I've either listened to it on audio or I read it like probably every other second. He the is Checklist a Manifesto. Yes. And it's about how the, how the implementation of a checklist in surgery actually reduced like morbidity and mortality rates by like 40%, like something, um, something wild, but really it is about how we start implementing very simple changes into, um, into our habits and into our routines. And part of what I love about it is that it pulls from a history in aviation, from surgery, from like building and construction, like just how, sort of how we can learn everyday things through 
a lot of different areas coming through. Um, So that's one book that I read pretty constantly. Okay. I thank you so much for the recommendation. I've not heard of it, but I know I'm going to love it. Yeah. My husband's a pilot, so he will also probably be reading this and love it. He talks to me all the time about how, like, if you have to shut down the airplane, you have to go through your checklist all over again. Like you have to start at the very beginning. And I, I, in a filing, when I'm preparing my clients filings, you know, we really have to run operating off of a checklist, but so often we run off of memory and that's where we make mistakes. Totally. So I think that it's so interesting actually, because one of the I'm going to, I'm like such a nerd about these things. One of the examples that they give is actually, it's like, I think it was like a Cessna airplane, single pilot checklist. If there is an engine failure. Okay. Yes. I remember this much detail about this book. I've read it so many times. Um, And step number one on the checklist is like, continue flying the plane. Right. And what they were talking about is that when you're trying to solve a problem, sometimes it can feel impossible or you forget to just do the things you were already doing. And I think that that's so applicable. You know, I found that so applicable in my life and especially in my clients' lives when they're you know, obviously not dealing with an airplane disaster. But when something is happening, when problems come up, when you're like, I need to optimize this, I need to do this better, you can forget to really be in the moment and still do the, like live the life that you're living. We don't always have to be in problem solving mode. Like step one is keep flying the airplane. Right. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to have, I'm going on vacation tomorrow and I was wondering what book I would take. So I'm going to go hit up the library and see if they have yeah. it. Yeah. I just returned it to the library, so they should have it. They should have it, right? I know. I wish that we had the same library. I wish we lived in the same town and we could hang out. It has been such a pleasure to visit with you. Where can people come? I saw your Instagram, so I want I will put it in the show notes as well, but where's the best place for people to find you? So I hang out a lot on Instagram. My handle is Ahuva Hirschkop, and I run a free community on Facebook called Beyond Burnout with Ahuva Hirschkop, and I hang out very often in both of those places. I am going to come join your free community. Do it. I love it. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And thank you you for the treat of getting to chat. Thanks so much for joining me. Ahuva, you are a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for being here. And folks, I hope you have a great week. If this touched you at all, I ask that you share it with a friend. The goal of this podcast is just to spread positivity and light. And when one person does a little bit better because of this, then we've reached our mission. We've, we've achieved the goal. Thanks friends. And I'll see you again next week.